Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Bouncing Back, the personal resilience science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. Let's get started. Hi everyone, I am your host Tia Hama and today I am joined by Dr. Jodie Richardson, best-selling author, award-winning podcaster and one of Australia's leading lights in anxiety education in schools and workplaces. In today's episode, we are talking about anxiety and how it really affects our personal resilience. Let's get started. Hi Dr. Jodie, how are you? Hello Tia, I'm great. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Now, you have quite a multifaceted career. So for those who don't know you, do you mind explaining a bit about who you are and what it is you do? Yes, I'd love to. I live with anxiety and that's really what brought me to do the work that I do. But I didn't realize I had anxiety until about 20 years after it started. <laughs> so yeah, wow. yeah it was, it's something that I had for a very long time that was very debilitating. Uh, and then mm. it was a journey for me to learn about it and I like to say now that I thrive with it and it's something that has, it's going to sound strange because it's so debilitating and tough for people mm. who live with it like I do, but it has been a gift in that it's taught me so much about myself and it's really led me to be able to do work that is uh, incredibly fulfilling and really makes a, a yeah. difference for other people. Wow, that's incredible. And I love that you've yeah, taken this thing that is so, like you said, like debilitating and can just so sort of infiltrate all these different parts of your life, but you've really like taken it and sort of just like, yeah, taken it by the horns and wrangled it to your benefit, which is amazing. And we've so many people, I don't doubt, have um, benefited from the fact that you are so passionate about this subject. Um, so thank you so much for being here. So we're going to do some get to know the guest questions now. So this is essentially where I'm going to ask Jody some more personal questions or some more kind of niche, um, interesting things before we get into the big interview questions. Cool? Yes. Go for it. Amazing. All right. So first topic is um, books. So let's talk about books. Do you read? Are you a reader? Some people aren't, which is totally fine, but I feel like maybe you are. <laughs> oh my goodness. I don't know if you can see behind me, but that's just a small oh, yeah. portion of my <laughs> library. Um, I, oh, just, wow. I just adore reading. I think books are an incredible gift to the world and I mm. read every night. Uh, I need to read a little bit more during the day. It's something I do at night to help me sort of wind down. Um, but yeah, me too. Yeah, it's the sort of thing at night I, I feel as though sometimes I have to then pick up and go back because I was getting a bit sleepy and, and might miss something important. But I try to read yeah. nonfiction um, sort of during the day for work and that's the, they're the books you'll see behind me. But I try to read fiction yeah. at night so that it can relax me and I'm not thinking about work just before my head hits the pillow. 
Yeah, definitely. I make a conscious point of doing that as well in terms of reading um, fiction before I go to sleep and then nonfiction during the day. Um, because I just, I just find it sort of sets my head in a better kind of like place before I'm going to sleep because I don't feel, I don't know, is this something about, because I feel like when I'm learning, um, when I'm reading nonfiction, I'm, I'm learning. And yes. I'm like, you know, absorbing something or I'm learning about someone's life or all that kind of stuff. And I recently just finished the book that I was reading, um, which was my my little fiction book that I had before I went to sleep was I was reading um, Sherlock Holmes, just like the adventures, just like the different ones. And they were just like the best thing. Um, and I finished it. And now I've like kind of run out of fiction books. So oh. I had to pick up one of my nonfiction ones before I go to sleep but it just it makes me not want to go to sleep because I just stay so engaged and I'm like oh this is terrible but I'm reading which is all the more reason to celebrate so (laughs) yes exactly it is it's a beautiful thing I'm lucky enough to be Mm. an ambassador for Australian Australia Reads and uh it's a yeah it's really lovely because it it helps us to be able to promote reading and promote libraries and Mm. and books it's just finding what you love it's finding what you love and that's the key and once you find what you really love you're um you you sit it's just sometimes can take a little bit of time to find the right sort of genre yeah exactly there is a book for everyone somewhere out there there is your genre even the people who are like oh I don't read or you know I can't get into like Harry Potter or whatever and it's like it's okay yes there is something (laughs) for you don't worry there is if my brother can find something to read then anybody (laughs) I say that about my daughter (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah Mm. are you reading anything interesting at the moment oh my gosh I've just finished Exile which is written by Jane Harper and she's an Australian author she wrote the dry and oh my gosh I loved it it was yeah it was intriguing to the very end and I've lent it to a friend uh at CrossFit and she said oh she's going to bring a few books in for me to grab so I'm without a good fiction book at the moment so oh um, yeah yes (laughs) I hear you sister yes yes I'm there with you yes but (laughs) last night I'm um reading Dr Wendy Suzuki's book which is anxiety is your superpower so yeah, it wow. isn't my traditional type of book before bed, but it's 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 mm. doing the job at the moment. <laughs> oh, that's so good to hear. Yeah. So let's talk about movies now. This part I find particularly interesting when I hear guests <laughs> sort of like recommendations or what are their favourites because I find movie tastes tend to be a little bit maybe more niche than book taste. So yeah. do you have an all-time favourite movie or is that just too hard to pick? Oh, gosh. I thought about this um, because I, but I couldn't arrive at a, a, a good answer, which is not helpful. But because I, I think it, it's generally this recency bias, this idea of what have I seen recently that I loved, and then it sort of yeah. then you know shifts in my in my priority list. But I, I recently watched uh, was it called Game Night with Jason Bateman, and it was okay. hilarious. I haven't seen it. Oh, it's on Netflix. It was. It was very, very funny, and I really. So when when I sit down at night, I usually watch about an hour of TV of a night time, and that's mm. my total unwind. We watch a lot of crime, my husband and I, and yeah, we just not mix- exactly unwinding material. <laughs> I know it's so relaxing. <laughs> um, I know you're right about that, but yeah, we recently watched. It's interesting, though. It yeah. is. It's so interesting, yeah. and you know this will this is going to. Uh, Maybe surprise uh, some people who, who might know me who are listening, but I actually love watching a lot of foreign 
uh, series with, and we watch them obviously with subtitles. Yeah, wow. And there are so many <laughs> yeah. interesting shows that come out of places like Finland mm. and Germany and France. Yeah. And if you don't limit yourself, it's a little bit of getting used to subtitles. Uh, but mm. it's so yeah, you open up a whole new world of really great, um, great television. So just a little tip. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I've definitely found some really incredible movies and TV shows just from overseas and you get so hooked on them and whether or not they have subtitles, like you're just like, if it's got a good plot line and good characters and good script, like, you know, good television or or good films are are good television everywhere. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Amazing. So let's talk about podcasts now you host your own podcast yes I do yes amazing I do it's called well hello anxiety and it is (laughs) it's a it's a name that I thought long and hard about because the I guess what I'd love to say is that one of the greatest challenges for people with anxiety is this idea of I have to get rid of it to live a really full life And we don't, in fact, we can't get rid of anxiety, but there's so much we can do to dial it down. And so Mm. the name of the podcast hopefully gives that idea that we'll, you know, we can, we can face up to it and we can bring it with us. It can be like a annoying friend that comes with us to do the things that we want to do. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's a real joy to, to create and, and host a weekly podcast. Uh, As you know, it's a, it's a really wonderful thing to be able to talk to different Mm. people and to be able to bring really uh, helpful insights to people in a in a in a forum that's really personal, like podcasting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll leave um the details for um Jody's podcast in the description if anyone's interested. Um, because yeah, it sounds like something that definitely is making that discussion about anxiety a little bit more accessible. And yeah, as a host, it's definitely. Um, it is a really cool job being able to talk to different people um, every week. And, you know, sometimes I talk to two or three people a day and everyone I talk to is someone that I don't know unless I'm interviewing one of my other hosts, one of my colleagues, which is always really fun. Yeah. Um, but I feel, yeah, so lucky to be able to, like, talk to new people on a weekly basis and always learn something new. Um, whether or not I am, like, you know, personally involved in the topic or I have a personal kind of attachment to it you still always learn something Mm -hmm. um which is just such an incredible part of just being a podcast host it's yeah it's kind of like being a radio host but just a little bit more a little bit more comfy yes (laughs) yes a little bit less stressful which is so lovely um because I used to do radio and yeah it's a little bit it's a little bit more high pressure yes um and being a podcast host just so nice I highly recommend highly recommend it is it's a great medium and it's barriers to entry are quite low actually there's a lot that you can do to start your own podcast podcast oh yeah um, definitely but yeah it certainly uh requires uh some some time commitment <laughs> that's for sure yeah definitely yeah. do you have any um podcasts that you listen to for fun or are you just sort of like you know informative educational podcasts oh a bit of both a bit of both so okay. yeah one of the podcasts I love and I try not to miss an episode of is Mia Friedman's No Filter I just okay. find that a fascinating listen always really Beautifully told stories, a lot of open, honest conversations with people from all different walks of life with all different stories to tell. And that's one of the podcasts that I really enjoy. Um, Yeah, I really enjoy getting, uh, you know, a chance to listen to usually in the car. 
Mm, yeah, definitely. I love, um, yeah, I love both educational and just kind of like fun podcasts because usually I listen to podcasts to kind of learn something. I usually am just listening to interviews with people that I love. Like I yes. love um, Ashley Graham has Pretty Big Deal, which is like my all-time favorite podcast. She just interviews the most incredible, smart, talented, successful women and all of her conversations are just so much fun and I just love her personality so much. Um, but I also listen to some other ones. But I had um, one of my uh, colleagues the host of another podcast, um, Gabriella, she was on here the other day. She was telling me uh, about uh, these like fictional podcasts and people sit around and they read scripts and they have different characters. And like, it's kind of just like an episode of Seinfeld, but without the like, you know, visual um, stimuli, which I found really interesting, like using a podcast as like a fictional kind of like medium to tell yeah, like fictional stories. I was like, that's so interesting. Like I never, never thought of using it like that, but it's really smart. It's almost full circle, isn't it? Because I believe that mm. they, they were popular shows when radio first started, that there would yeah. be shows <laughs> like that where you could tune in 100%. before TV, gosh, which wasn't in my time, thank yeah. goodness. But um, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mine neither. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. It was really interesting. And it does yeah, like you said, sort of have that nostalgic aspect of when before television, when people listened to the radio and they had stories on. And yeah, I love that. I was like, that's so interesting. Oh, but anyway, we could talk about that forever. So my next topic is um, famous role models. Do you have a famous role model? Oh, I really admire the work of Brene Brown. I okay. don't have um, a lot of role models. I think I, I, I've read a lot of different people's work and listen and tune into a lot of different people's work, particularly in the area mm. that I'm passionate about, which is mental health. But Brene Brown, I just love the way that she has changed the landscape in workplaces, in conversations, and just how so much of her work in science is translating to real change and mm. how open and vulnerable she is and how that's, uh, you know, really role modelling for so many other people to be able to share more openly because at the end of the day, if we can all share a little bit more openly, we can connect better with other people and that has such a bearing on our life and our happiness and our relationships. So, yeah, she's somebody I really admire. Oh, amazing. I love that. And uh, fifth and finally, uh, let's talk about a course you have completed. It doesn't have to be recent. This can be like, you know, your favourite unit that you completed in uni or something that you did online during COVID. Or... Oh, well... The, probably the most powerful course that I've ever done, uh, which is on top of all of my university studies, is training and acceptance and commitment therapy, which is a branch of cognitive behavioural therapy or CBT, which some listeners might be familiar with, but it is just the most powerful behavioural therapy I've ever come across. And it the, the strategies and the tools that I learned through my training that I apply to myself and I share with my audiences have just been really life-changing. So that yeah, is wow. the kind of training that I yeah, get really excited about. Oh, amazing. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for answering those questions. Pleasure. So before we get into kind of the nitty-gritty interview things, um, we're going to talk a little bit about what it, what personal resilience means. So for our listeners, Jody, how would you define personal resilience? Resilience to me is about struggling well. And I say that because 
we only develop resilience by going through hardship. And yeah. we all want to be resilient and we all want for our friends and our family and our children, for those of us that are parents, we want our children particularly to be resilient. But you only develop resilience by coming out the other side of something that was tough, one of life's curveballs. Mm. And so personal resilience to me is this understanding that life is full of curveballs. It is not normal to go through life and, and not have challenges. That's just a part of being human. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, to, and, and to be able to show yourself kindness and compassion when you are going through a difficult time, to know that you are not alone and to cultivate, to learn and then cultivate the skills that can help you to cope with the hardship, uh, make mm-hmm. the connections so you have people to turn to to support you through the hardship and reflection when you come out the other side to say, I did that, I got through that and yeah. to know that, hey, if I got through that, then that's a real string to my bow and it's going to help me to get through mm-hmm. other things that are challenging too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think it's been so interesting to sort of like going back to what we were talking about before. It's been so interesting being the the host of this show because everyone's definition of personal resilience is so different. Everyone's Everyone has the same kind of like foundation, um, but it is so different. And I think what you've touched on definitely is kind of at its core, sort of you have to go through things to be able to build that resilience. It is definitely sort of like, you know, making your your skin tougher in the most in the way that you are able to kind of love yourself the most um, and take care of yourself and learn about yourself and kind of, um, you know, your coping mechanisms, the ability for you to understand when you need to take a break, when you need to look after yourself, when you need to keep pushing um, through. So yeah, I think personal resilience is so so multifaceted, um, but it is something that you have to face in life and everyone has that resilient side of themselves because just being a human is just in and of itself, you know, a little bit of a challenge. Um, so it is something that you learn about, especially um, as you get older. But when you're a kid, you know, being resilient is something that you just innately learn about, you know, like, you know, having to say sorry, having to, you know, get back up off the floor of the playground after you fell off something, you know, like it's those basic things. And I feel like being a parent, you kind of see what resilience really means and that sort of like fundamental childlike point of view in terms of, you know, falling down, hitting your head, getting your back self back up and getting a bad grade, you know, learning about that again. Um, so, yeah, it is such an interesting thing that you develop as you get older. Yeah, it is. And you're right. Different people will have very, very different ideas around it, which is so nice that we can all share our own point of view. So, mm, Exactly. So a lot of people think that resilience means being immune to stresses and adversity. Why do you think this is? Why do you think we have this misconception? I think a lot of people think about resilience a bit like an armour, that things will bounce off, that you are untouchable, that you are unaffected, whereas that's not the case. We We are all affected by different things at different times and I think we can sometimes feel as though things affect us more because we might look on our social media feed where it's a curated reel of highlights generally and it looks like everyone else is going well and a lot of people don't share when they're going through the tough times. But, yeah, I think that that's that's a misconception about resilience, that it means that you're not impacted by the things that happen, whereas 
you know, as, as I was saying before, that the idea of resilience that I have and uh, that I work with is this idea that, well, the normalisation of hard times and difficulties is a part of it, but also to know that, mm. to know in yourself that when something tough does happen, I do have the coping strategies. I do have the means with yep. which I need to cope with it, but not to have the idea that I, I'm i not going to have anything that's going to throw me off course because I'm resilient. That's, that's unfortunately mm. not how it works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's really not resilience at all. And I think I've learned this as I've gotten older. I sort of used to be so stubborn in terms of like, oh, nothing can affect me. And like, I am ice, you know, like it's not, I have these walls and no one will, you know, break through them and I will just be invincible forever. But as you get older, you learn that you are not invincible no, forever, correct. despite what your teenage self <laughs> may think. Yes. Um, yeah, you're definitely not um, invincible and I think we have this misconception because we want to believe that nothing is going to affect us because we want to have we want to feel like we have the power to control our ourselves and our lives and our own emotions but it's really not the case life happens and things will happen but it's about um you know resilience at its core is really about learning um how to bounce back correct which is the name of our show yes. so, <laughs> so now that we've defined personal resilience what it means to be resilient let's turn to the topic of the day which is anxiety and learning how to manage anxiety so that you can live well because it is something that you have to learn to live with um it's not something that just sort of goes away you can't take some magic tablet and it just sort of disappears unfortunately (laughs) as much as we wish that it could as much as we wish that it was something that just sort of poofed away um but unfortunately, you know, life doesn't work like that as we've already discovered. So how, in your professional opinion, how do you define anxiety disorder? Yes. And anxiety disorder is really defined by how much of an impact your anxiety is having on your life. And so I like to say that anxiety exists on a continuum and we all experience anxiety every day because it's our brain's way of keeping us safe. But when anxiety symptoms, the physical symptoms and the worries and the behavior, which is often avoidance, are getting in the way of uh, in the way of day-to-day living, that's when it's a problem. And so yeah. it's and it's it's really possible to to manage anxiety and to to shift things to move along the continuum. But if you are experiencing the type of anxiety that's stopping you from doing things and living a really full life, then that's that's definitely, you know, where, where you're looking at an anxiety disorder. So there is a difference between um, sort of like anxiety disorder and then there's that general anxiety that people, and that's a totally natural thing to experience on like a, on a sort of relative day-to-day basis. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. And so, yeah, we all, every, every single person experiences anxiety, but normally the anxiety is in response to something that's happening. Like for some people recording a podcast would make them very anxious and then they'd record the podcast and then that anxiety would settle. However, that is not the case for a lot of people who have sort of more chronic anxiety, lots of worry, um, you know, it affects Mm. thinking, how we feel in our body and what we do. And so, yeah, it's really tough. I've been there myself. You know, it's really, really hard. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, there is that, there is that difference and it is something that, yeah, you, you have to learn to recognize. So how does anxiety disorder affect our personal resilience? Um, Gosh, 
Anxiety affects resilience greatly. And one of the reasons, for example, is the way that we can think when we're when we're thinking anxious thoughts. And so a lot of a lot of resilience develops through going through something, experiencing something. And sometimes it can be choice. Sometimes it can be that wild roller coaster at the theme park. Sometimes it's mm. putting your hand up for a promotion. Sometimes it's going through an illness. It depends on, you know, who you are and what's happening in your life. When we when we can find it within ourselves to put ourselves out of our comfort zone, if we choose to go through something hard or if we are going through something hard, then we develop resilience by moving through. But anxiety will say, don't do it. Anxiety will say, stop, no, turn around and cancel, delete, whatever it is, because the it's the brain's way of trying to keep us safe. And yeah. so when anxiety has its say uh, in opportunities to develop resilience, often people can say, no, I can't, I'm not going to, because it feels so overwhelming in the body and we don't like feeling like that. And so we want to return to mm. a feeling of safety. And so yeah. it can really impact resilience. That's just one of the ways it can impact resilience. So you keep sort of mentioning this concept of our body returning to this this feeling of safety. Is that sort of like the same um, inbuilt reaction in every human or does every person kind of have their individual, um, does their brain sort of have this individual understanding of what safety means? Yeah, so it, it can be very individual. And some people, particularly people who have experienced trauma, their brain is wired to be more easily able to detect threats. And so mm. the brain wiring is influenced by experiences sort of through childhood and growing up. But also when it comes to the actual uh, wiring of what happens when anxiety is triggered, it's the same for all of us. It's just that some people's mm. uh, wiring is more sensitive to being triggered. Yeah, right. Yes, but yeah, the way wow. we experience anxiety can be different for different people. Yeah. So you might see me today, you might every now and again see me take a big deep breath because anxiety shows up around what we care about and I care yeah. deeply about, you know, connecting with you and, and really supporting your listeners to to really learn something and, and hopefully help oh, them. Thank you. Yeah, it's important. <laughs> yeah. And so anxiety shows up when we really care and so mm. that's affected my breathing because our mm. breathing can become a bit short and shallow. And yeah. so every now and again you might see me go, take a sort of a bigger deep breath because I'm talking, I can't do my normal breathing, that practice that mm. would settle my system. And so, yeah. yeah, and so that's how it affects me. But for other people, it can be constant trembling. It can be sickness in the stomach, headaches, vision problems, numbness in the arms. There's a, there's yeah. a whole range of ways it affects people, but the yeah. what happens in the brain is the same. Yeah. So on that note, like you sort of mentioned, yeah, it, it kind of manifests in different sort of ways in terms of breathing or um, stomach, you know, pains or some people are shaking, all those kinds of things. Is there um, sort of like a set criteria that is sort of like looked for when diagnosing anxiety or is it is it something that you kind of just have to learn to understand how your body reacts? Yeah, so a, a GP might be the person that does an initial assessment, a basic assessment to determine how you're going with your anxiety and there will be a, a mm. range of questions that will ask about three, actually really probably four main areas of our lives and they they are 
how we're thinking. So are we worrying a lot about things? Uh, how we're feeling in our body? How we are feeling emotionally? Because anxiety can cause a lot of really big feelings and mm. what we're doing. So are we avoiding? Are we turning down opportunities? How are we behaving? How are we sleeping? And so they're the types of questions that you could expect if you were being assessed and you would yeah, right, generally yeah. sort of rank where you are from not at all to every day and that, mm. that would give a professional an idea of sort of where you're at with your anxiety. Interesting. So what causes people to have anxiety disorder? Lots of different things can it's multifactorial is the word we would say. Um, many things can influence it. So there is a genetic component. So for me personally, um, my granddad on my mum's side had very, uh, well, OCD is serious no matter what, but it was it really impacted his, his life and the life of the family. Mm. So there was OCD on my grandfather's side, anxiety in my mum and in that side of the family. And then it's obviously come down to, to myself and other members of my family. So there is a genetic component, but you could have the, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, it's about 30 to 50% uh, likelihood. Oh, wow, that's a yeah. lot higher than I anticipated it to be. Yeah. Interesting. It's quite high, but even though we have the, the coding in our genes, like that, that kind of script for anxiety, it has to be triggered mm. by something. So you could go through your whole life with yeah, that right. in your DNA but not suffer with an anxiety disorder because it doesn't. you haven't yeah. had that experience okay. that has kind of switched it on. And, yeah, yeah and so that is one that is one impact. Uh, life events can cause serious anxiety. Um, I was reading an article written in The Times mm -hmm. by uh, Dr Emma Sapala and she witnessed the planes crashing into the Twin Towers. She witnessed it from a rooftop wow. of her accommodation as a graduate student. Um and that triggered terrible anxiety because essentially anxiety is the brain's, really the brain and the body's response in anticipation of a threat and nothing to put you on the high alert for a threat than witnessing some mm. sort of catastrophe like uh, as that was. Yeah, of course. Mm. So life yeah, experience wow. can definitely have an impact as mm. well and um, sometimes it's not just a one-off like that. Sometimes it can be this idea that, uh, a, a workplace or a school or a place doesn't feel psychologically safe and so the, the brain's almost on high alert each day. There might be somebody who doesn't treat you well. It could be a bully mm. in a workplace or a school who, where the brain is sort of preparing the body to defend against that threat that may, that may be present when they arrive at work. So, um, you know, there are lots of different yeah. causes. Um, and there are some illnesses that can, you know, bring anxiety along with them as well. So it's it's hard to know. Different people will often work it out for themselves what has been yeah. sort of underlying their anxiety. But if you don't know, it's okay because what we do about it is the same. Yeah. How can we, like, how can we help um, people who, you know, we know and love who we know are struggling with anxiety? Or how can we sort of, even if you're a parent, for example, like how do I know how can I recognize it in my own child or in my siblings or in like family? Is there, is there a way that you can kind of help people um, kind of manage it? Like, is there something that, you know, bystanders can do? Yes, there's so much. Recognition can be hard. It's a bit like an iceberg that underneath the water, 
uh, you know, underneath that ice, iceberg, the, what you won't see are what people are thinking and how they're feeling mm. emotionally and how they're feeling in their body. You yeah. won't see that. What you All you will see is what they're doing. And so a way to tune into it, whether or not somebody might be feeling anxious about something is to really kind of keep keep a bit of a mental note about what's happening. So if you've got a person at work who is always avoiding uh, a staff function or isn't coming into the workplace because they, they sort of feel safer at home, psychologically safer at home, you won't know what the reason is. But if somebody's avoiding social situations and you can see a pattern, then there may be a, an issue there with a particular person who just is, you mm. know, avoidant because social situations make them feel anxious. Um, that might not be the only yeah. reason, but it's the behaviour that will help us observe uh, and understand whether mm. or not something might be going on. In terms of helping, yeah, wow. one of the most powerful things that we can do for someone is to empathise with them when they are feeling anxious and yeah. just to let them know that we are there to listen. We don't have to fix it. It's so beautiful when you're feeling anxious for somebody to say, look, I know you're having a really hard time right now and if it's a partner to give you a big hug or if it's a workmate to say, do you want to go out for a coffee and a chat? And just to be a listener and yeah. have allow somebody to sort of talk about what's happening and just to, to be that sort mm. of a person who can sort of really validate that how we feel is how we feel yeah. and, and not try to change how we feel or tell us why we shouldn't feel like that or why we should feel differently because that only tends to make us feel unheard. Yeah, that doesn't help. <laughs> no, that doesn't help with yeah, anyone, exactly. anxiety no, or not. Just, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I think, yeah, that that's um, definitely not a, a, a helpful tool. Um, so how can we know um, that what we are experiencing is just a normal reaction to something or if it's something that may be the start of an anxiety disorder. Is, is there kind of a way that, is there something like red flags, for example, that yeah. people should kind of look out for um, so that they can take care of themselves? Yeah, absolutely. It's really good to tune into how you feel in your body. And I keep coming back to this because we know anxiety is a mental health disorder, but it's so physical. In fact, it's all physical. Yeah. And so yeah. if it's all connected. It, it is, exactly. The brain and the body are one and uh, they're connected mm. by the vagus nerve, which is really powerful. And it, the vagus nerve is what sort of yeah. helps us understand why we feel the way we do when anxiety shows up. But absolutely, I think when it comes to anxiety, it's good to start to think about, right, how do I feel when I'm anxious? And it could be headaches, it could be nausea, it could be uh, numbness and tingling or trembling or breathing and mm. pay attention to that so that you start to develop an awareness of how does this show for me and then monitor when it shows for you. So it, if we're presenting in a meeting with our peers at work, then that's going to cause a little bit of anxiety because we care about doing a good job. And so mm. does that anxiety rise sort of in the day or the hours leading up, does it settle down afterwards? That's really what we're looking for. Does it come and go yeah. at times that seem kind yeah. of, you know, to make sense versus yeah. is is my anxiety a knot in my stomach about a meeting that's in three weeks and I can't sleep? And yeah, is it something definitely. that I'm saying no to opportunities or experiences or invitations because 
I feel this anxiety come up and I just want to stay where I feel okay, where it settles back down, which might be, which is often at home. So really just looking out for when is that anxiety just hanging around for no good reason? It's becoming extreme and it's stopping us Mm. from doing the things that we, we kind of have to do if it's a workplace task that we would choose not to if we could or the things we love to do. Anxiety will get in the way Mm. of the good stuff and the other things that we have to do when it's starting to become a problem. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious in terms of, you know, we've talked about how it can come up before something and and during something. So, for example, a a work meeting or, you know, you're you're hosting a show or something like that and you can, it can come up beforehand, like quite far in advance, beforehand and then during. Why does it, for people who have anxiety disorders, why can it sometimes hang around afterwards? Like what is that overflow effect? Like why does it? Because, you know, you kind of like you just want it to go away because you're like, <laughs> okay, it's up. <laughs> you're like, okay, we're finished. We made it. Go, go away now. Yes, I'm done. <laughs> you, you've done your job. Yeah, like you, yeah. We're out of, you know, we're in, we're back in safety. Yes. Why does it hang around? Yes. It's because of the biochemical changes that occur when we experience anxiety. So we are flooded mm. with adrenaline and cortisol and they don't get mopped up so fast. And so you might Damn. do, right, I mean, public speaking is my love and it seems strange from somebody who lives with an anxiety disorder to say that, but it's something that is easy for me to do. I get excited, but most people that's terrifying. Mm. And so you would think that after putting the microphone away, walking off stage, round of applause, you'd feel fantastic, but it does take a little while, sometimes up to half an hour, maybe even a little bit longer for the heart rate to slow, for mm. yeah, for the muscle tension to relax because essentially when anxiety, the threat is determined by the brain and all of the processes are in play to put us into a state where we can defend ourselves from the threat because the brain actually thinks our life yeah. is in danger when we are speaking on stage. Yeah. That's really what the brain and the <laughs> body think. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so all of the changes uh, re- relate to that. Our muscles tense so that mm. we've got more power if we were to fight. Our blood moves from our gut to our legs and arms so we can run or punch and and do that, you know, with more power and more speed. And all of the yeah. changes we feel in our body relate to powering us up. And it takes a little while for the, the blood to be redistributed, for the heart rate to settle, for the muscle tension to ease, for the, you know, the biochemical changes, uh, you know, to stop for the adrenal glands to stop pumping out adrenaline and cortisol. And so, yeah, so it's very natural that it takes a little time to sort of taper down. And what can happen the next day is there can be sort of a bit of a slump, kind of the, um, the come down from the, you know, there can sometimes be some elation that comes with achieving something that's really anxiety provoking. So I often say to people, prepare to be a bit flat or maybe a little bit um, low in mood and a bit tired the next day too because it's exhausting having a body on high alert like that for a long time. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, interesting. So we've spoken kind of how um, anxiety can stem from different things and be caused by different things. Is this something that you can develop as an adult? Because a lot of what we talk about and just sort of a lot of the literature kind of describes, you know, it's stemming from something that happened in your childhood, something that you saw kind of, you know, pre-20s. Um, but is it something that can occur, like let's say you're in your 30s or your 40s, is it something that can occur, you know, 
after after you turn 20. Yeah, definitely. So the research tells us that by the age of 14, half of all mental illness is present, which is really young. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's really young. Really young. Uh, three quarters are present by the age of 24. And so early intervention is really key and that's why understanding is so important. Mm. Um, but, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's not uncommon for adults to... It's interesting. It's not uncommon for adults to have an experience in life that can cause them to then struggle with anxiety, but overwhelmingly adults that identify anxiety can look back and can see a pattern or can see evidence of anxiety over a long period of time, right back through to childhood Mm. often, that was never well understood. And that's often what's happening when adults are diagnosed. Um, It's just something they they never had identified sooner. Interesting. So like branching off from that, there's no kind of like, you know, we talk a lot. I think there's a lot of wanting to regain control or like, you know, get back that power. That's not entirely something that is possible. It's not really something you recover from per se. Oh, look, recovering from anxiety, we can certainly, we can certainly treat anxiety disorders, absolutely treatable. Um, but, but we, you know, some people can like, like me, for example, I have a serious anxiety disorder. I have generalized anxiety disorder. And also I've had struggles with OCD in the past. And so I'm medicated and that has, I wasn't medicated for a very, very long time. And that mm. has something that has put me, my biochemistry in a, in a place where I can then learn and adopt and implement strategies that make the most profound difference to my experience of anxiety. So yeah, wow. you said at the start, Tia, that we can't take a pill to get rid of it. We absolutely can't. <laughs> and the medication that is available, it's so interesting because there are studies that show that exercise uh, can be as effective as medication. But also- I've heard yeah, this, yeah. yeah. Um, medication should be in conjunction with uh counseling of some type as well should be used in conjunction with counseling. So there's so much that we can do, but I think what people can understandably really kind of hold on to is this idea that when I get rid of this, I can do this. I can, I can take that step forward and start that new job, that new hobby, that new musical instrument, whatever it is. But because it's the brain's way of keeping us safe, we really actually don't want to get rid of that or we have no threat detection system. Mm. And unfortunately, though, it, that you know what we've got in terms of biology in our brain is the same now as it was when we lived on the savannah. Humans were really in danger of being yeah. Yeah. eaten, <laughs> yeah. being breakfast um, or being separated <laughs> yeah. from their tribe and which is why relationships are so important to us and comparison is such a challenge for us. So um, mm. we've got kind of the same machinery in a very, very different modern life. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, so it's it gets triggered all the time. Threats like too many emails uh, will trigger anxiety for a lot of people. Um, right. So, so is that kind of like our brain sort of like um, like recontextualise? You'd be like, okay, I'm not being chased by a, you know, dinosaur or a crocodile or something you know I'm not, I'm not I don't know you might be chased by a crocodile if you live in the northern territory yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. um, like if you're you know you're like okay I'm not being 
chased by a lion. Yeah. So is that kind of like your brain being like, okay, we're not being chased by a lion, but we are delivering this PowerPoint. Is that sort of the brain being like, all right, we need to sort of find the new equivalent? Is that kind of how that works? Yeah, that, and that's the thing. The brain and the body will react when you're delivering a PowerPoint to a group of people. It, it will react and change change our physiology and, and change how we feel, what we think and what we do, mm. irrespective of whether we are in front of our peers or literally in, in danger. And what's yeah, wow. really interesting about it too is we can imagine a scenario like presenting in front of our peers or going for a job interview and that will trigger the same responses. Yeah. Yeah. Or we can perceive a situation in a certain way and, and again, that it's kind of like a, it's, it's, you know, is the alarm on or is the alarm off? And when we can mm. understand anxiety and how it works and then recognise that, oh, this situation is not life-threatening, I'm actually safe, uh, we can start mm. to do that a lot more when we have a you know, certain practices. One of them is mindfulness meditation because it helps to strengthen the connections between the part of the brain that kind of helps us to think straight, that helps us to make decisions and plan and yeah. execute. We can strengthen connections between this part of the brain and the, the part of the brain that is detecting threat so that we can more quickly mm. go, okay, I'm okay here, right? This is not threatening uh, this is an opportunity for me to put in a strategy, put into place a strategy that's going to help ground me and settle my physiology so then I can focus on what I need to do. Um, but, yeah, yeah. The, what happens in the brain is the same as what happened in early humans and, and it was really, really mm. important to help keep them alive. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's a shame. Uh, we've evolved a lot but that part of the, that part of the machinery <laughs> that part is, of us. Uh, yeah, Still hanging around. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, you mentioned um, mindfulness. Is that something that you would recommend sort of like a, a place where people can start in terms of um, like managing their anxiety? Would you, you recommend that as sort of a starting platform? I would recommend starting. Sometimes we can feel ironically so anxious we can't focus on anything. And so one of the things that I would always say to people to start with is to start with the breath and it's uh one of our most powerful agents against anxiety is to bring our attention to our breath and to lengthen our exhale Mm. because when we are anxious there's a part of our nervous system that is in full activation and so much of what happens is is out of our conscious control we're not thinking about making our heart race we're not thinking about changing our blood flow you know these are not things that we can control but the one part of this whole response that we can exert control over is our breathing so if we can breathe in and there's a, a cyclic breathing technique where you breathe in through the nose once and then a second time which helps inflate those little uh, alveoli in the lungs that might have been a little bit collapsed. (laughs) So it helps us to sort of get a deeper breath. So it's two inhalations and then a long exhalation. So it would sound like this. Yeah, okay. And a long exhalation because it's during the exhalation that our heart rate slows. Our heart rate actually increases a little bit when we breathe in. And it slows and we breathe out. So if we can start to bring in some really mindful breathing, that is what is going to really help to settle an anxious system. 
Mm, interesting. Yeah, I definitely, yeah, the breathing thing is definitely something that you hear about a lot because it is, you know, one of the small things that you can start to gain control over is sort of how, you know, like the mind and the gut and all those things, you know, a lot of the time there's not much you can do there, um, especially when it's that physical reaction. But when it comes to the breathing, it is something that you can learn to control and it does just sort of become an innate part, especially if you kind of yeah, make it a bit of a habit that can just sort of become your gut reaction, I guess, which yes. is not the right word. but <laughs> No, I know, but it, it, if, it, if that's your go-to strategy, then you mm. – and, it, and it, it is really important to do it every day, to practice it, even if you do five minutes – start with five minutes a day, even when you're not anxious, because it starts to train your body and your brain to relax under those circumstances so that when you yeah. are feeling a little bit more stressed and anxious, you you have the, the wherewithal to sort of think to use that strategy first and foremost, mm. and then to put it into practice and you've practiced it, you know what to do. So let's turn quickly to coping mechanisms. There are good ones and bad ones. Yes. <laughs> so, for example, um, one of the less, less healthy options um, is some people turn to alcohol yeah. as a coping mechanism. And, you know, a lot of people turn to, yeah, like I said, alcohol, drugs, those kinds of things. Yes. What advice um, would you have for people who are, are trying to sort of break out of unhealthy coping mechanisms, but they've kind of become such an attached sort of habit yeah. that it can be hard to break out of? And, and what options do those people have otherwise? Certainly when it comes to alcohol, that is uh, commonly, it's something we turn to because of stress. And being a Melbourneian like yourself uh, during lockdown, that was something I know I turn up, I would have a gin and tonic every day, which was so... Yeah, me too. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> me too. It's a good thing bad. about the day sometimes. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it was really, it was not aligned with the way I wanted to live. It's certainly not aligned yeah. with my value of, of health and fitness. And But it was a, it was a coping strategy. Just mm. I really felt like I couldn't relax if I didn't have something yeah. to drink. And, and that's the common understanding because it is a depressant alcohol is a depressant and so it does depress our nervous system and it, and it does feel relaxing absolutely and it releases dopamine so we feel good we're like ah oh, that feels so nice but it doesn't last long and what can happen is we almost after the drink you, you know um i won't i won't use that metaphor but essentially you know we could be going along at a plateau and yeah when we when we have our drink we feel a lot a lot better so we're sort of more relaxed but when we bounce back after the alcohol wears off we can bounce back more stressed and anxious than we were yeah. before we had the drink and there's a, a term for yeah. it called hangxiety and yeah. it's it's that classic of had too much to drink and you can feel heightened anxiety in the time mm. following and so Definitely. It's something really interesting in my life because I've done a couple of interviews with a grey area drinking expert on my podcast and I've learned so much more about the the ways to make changes in your behaviour and her mm. great advice is keep the ritual, change the ingredient. And so yeah. drinking is, I don't, I don't have any personal experience with uh, drugs and addiction for coping with, um, it's a it's a it's a challenge for a lot of people. Um, it's not not mm. in in my area of expertise, but 
when it comes to alcohol, the greatest thing that you can do is start getting curious about all of the different non-alcoholic alternatives and mm. trying. And I've found I found a few that I absolutely love. So on the nights where I would normally have a drink, which be typically in the past, a Friday and a Saturday, I might have a G&T on a Friday night and one on a Saturday night and that was it. Then now I'll have like an I'm not an affiliate, but I like the Naked Life Canadian Rye and Lime. I think it's called. It. Oh yeah, it's um yeah. And I'll just have that on the rocks, and it's alcohol free, and it feels like you're having a drink, and it's a beautiful ritual, and it's something mm. I look forward to, and that has. So basically, now I've made a decision that I just am not going to drink at home. I am going to have yeah. a drink if I go out for a birthday or for a dinner. I might just have a glass of wine, but mm. that's my personal journey. And people who have made a change when it comes to uh, coping with their anxiety by use of alcohol just have a whole new lease on life. It can be quite profound. So it's Mm. so interesting you talk about coping and I think it's a really great thing for us all to think about is what are my helpful coping strategies that don't cost me anything, they only help and enrich my life versus having a cost it might be beneficial in the moment, but there, there is an attached cost that causes mm. um, more challenge in other ways. So it's a really, really interesting topic. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we could we could discuss it forever because <laughs> it is such an interesting thing that we as humans sort of have this sort of like innate desire to find uh, something to help us cope. And I think, you know, we so often turn to alcohol because it's probably the thing that's the easiest available it's you know legal it's you know we're like oh okay it's kind of and it, and it comes with this sort of like I don't know it, it almost comes with this idea that like oh okay this is a coping mechanism like it it definitely comes with that um stigma in terms of like okay well if you're having a bad day and you need something to help you cope then this is the product for you kind of situation which is really sad but I think it's it's just such a thing that's been so inbred for centuries is this like kind of you know if you're having a bad day this is what you do um but there are there are healthier alternatives and there are a lot of um non-alcoholic options of drinks now like a lot of beers have you know you can get the same taste and same flavors and all that kind of stuff but it's not going to it's not going to hurt you in the as much in the long run um so yes thank you for answering all those questions we're going to go into the practice habit uh, debrief experiment part of the show now so this is where we ask the experts i'm going to ask dr jody uh, what she does to deal with the topic at hand so obviously we're talking about anxiety disorders so jody what is the practice that you do to manage your anxiety disorder i love exercise and so Amazing. Yes, yes. That That's is, a great thing to love. Yeah, it is. I know, <laughs> I know. It's, um. yes, I, I don't know what the trick is, but I've just had so, I think naturally all my life because I can trace back my anxiety to prep when I was four. And yeah, wow. my mum used to do a lot of running and netball and so naturally it became a very big part of my life. And whilst I didn't yeah. have my anxiety diagnosed until I was about 25, I just exercised so much and played so much sport. I think naturally 
that was what was helping me cope, even though I didn't know I had anything really mm. wrong. I thought yeah. that's just how everybody lived their life and how everybody felt every yeah. day. Um, yeah. So my exercise that I just love is CrossFit. And so, yeah, that, that's something I've been doing. I love CrossFit. Yeah, yeah it's oh awesome. So good. Yeah, so, so good. good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. So what would you say are three good things about this practice? Oh, number one is the, I mean, the way you feel after you've, after you've done a workout is just, you just feel elated. The workouts mm. are really hard and they're meant to be because yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, we don't, we don't adapt if we don't have any sort of challenge, any sort of resistance mm, to, mm. to adapt to. And so workouts are hard, but um, afterwards you're just on a high, you just feel so good. So it's amazing for the, the chemistry in our brain, the, the chemicals mm. and the neurotransmitters that are released that make us feel really good. Um, definitely is, a great way to regularly get out of your comfort zone and that's important for all of us to you know the good stuff happens on the other side of that comfort zone so you certainly learn to live with discomfort um but one of the most amazing things and you can see how i'm beaming about it just the people we we have yeah. we do the i do the nine nine o'clock three times a week and like the six, we, we talk about the 6 a.m and the 7 a.m crossfitters and we're like oh they're so hardcore like you would not you know, you, I mean, I'll sometimes be there at seven if I if I can't make the nine. But um, we we we're all just such good mates, and we like to have a bit of a chat. But gee, we work hard when we're doing our workouts, and in between, we're talking about all sorts of things. And the community is just what really makes it and sets it apart from everywhere else I've ever done any yeah. training. So yeah, I just love it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It definitely has that kind of, it's a different energy from going to the gym. It's just so much more. Yeah. I did it for a while. Um, I was really into it in high school and then sort of trickled off during uni and sort of got back into it, um, post COVID. And it's just so much fun. Like I just forgot, I was just like, oh, the energy and you know, the music's really loud and everyone's just yeah. like high energy. And you just get this buzz where you're like, okay, I'm going to go for like another run. Like it's yes. just so, and it's just like so <laughs> addictive in a, in a good way. In like a good way. You know, you're getting these health benefits and you're like, oh, this is great. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's really wonderful. Yeah, it is. So, yeah. Um, in all those, you know, positive aspects, what are some challenges that you face when doing this practice? Mm. At, at the moment, I'm actually injured. So oh, uh, you no. have to, I think um, one of the challenges is you, you get strong and you have frequent mm. opportunities to uh, to improve on previous times and weights and uh, one of the things that, and I think a certain type of personality is drawn to CrossFit and I you, you're only competitive with yourself. Like you can't look around mm. and compare yourself with other people because everybody's on a completely different journey, different ages, um, you know, different stages. And so I love getting stronger but I just have to bear in mind that um, I just need to take things slowly and my coaches are amazing. Um, so one of the challenges for me at the moment is I haven't been able to do some of the things I love to do, but I'm very diligently doing my rehabilitation and so I can get myself back to, to doing all that I yeah. love. Um, I guess another challenge is that it's, you know, it is some some days you don't, you might be scheduled and booked into a class, but you might just, you know, sometimes you just don't feel like it. But I, I don't let that stop me. I say to myself, I've made this commitment to myself. I've made this choice 
And so I'm going to be going regardless of whether I feel like it or not. And I think that's yeah. the, the key to being consistent with your exercise is not being influenced by those day-to-day -day ups and downs. It's deciding what you need, what's going to work for you, putting it in your calendar and then making sure that it happens because the moment that you make a start, you are so grateful that you actually got yourself there. So they're, they're just a couple of the challenges, aside from the actual learning of new skills, which can be a bit tricky sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So how do you find the time to, to do this every week? I make the time. I schedule it in pretty much before I schedule in anything else. And so yesterday, for example, so I, I'll do three classes a week, usually Monday, Wednesday, Friday, sometimes Saturday. And when I'm not injured, um, I'm still going three times a week at the moment, but I put it in my calendar and then I schedule meetings and podcast interviews and, and things like this around <laughs> yep. my training. Um, I usually yeah. don't agree to anything until 11 because you, you sort of have to make sure you've got plenty of time for a, a nice hot shower <laughs> and um, yeah, exactly. afterwards. Um, but yeah, if I, if I have a booking, say, for example, I have a school that would like me to come in in the morning, of course, that's going to take a priority. Of course it is. But where uh, day to day, because I work for myself, I'm able to uh, schedule things in around it. It's a priority for me because it is Without that, I know my mental health declines. There are two key things. Mm. Um, my exercise is my number one and my sleep is the other. So I protect I protect those as much as I possibly can. Yeah. And how do you think uh, this practice impacts your personal resilience? Oh, in the most phenomenal ways. I, I so often will leave CrossFit and I'll say if I can do that I can do anything you know um because and, and I you do feel that way afterwards you do, yeah you do I mean I I'm so excited I did a PB with my deadlift yesterday and I lifted 75 kilos which is way more than I weigh and oh my goodness I know yeah. I just I mean but but I was like myself and another woman we had the same PB yesterday whereas one of the one of the girls she lifted I don't know I think she lifted 100 so my weights are never the, the top weights in the class, but it doesn't matter because it, it was a PB for me. It was five kilos yeah. heavier than last time I did it. Um, it's taken three years to get there, but, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. what, what, uh, uh, do you know what, Tia? I've completely forgotten <laughs> what you asked me. Sorry. <laughs> That's fine. I'm, okay. Yeah. So um, how do you think this practice impacts <laughs> your personal resilience? Yeah. Getting, getting so caught up in the, in the love for CrossFit. <laughs> oh, sorry. I know, right? I know. I'm just, I'm just dreaming yeah, of when fine. I'm back in. Um, yeah. So, so what, like in terms of the, the discomfort, so discomfort is something that is just a part of being human. And, and I think it, it's mm. a, Russ Harris will say it's a happiness myth that, you know, it's normal to be happy all the time. It is normal yeah. to have all sorts of feelings and, Oh, yeah, discomfort totally. is one of them, whether that's emotional or psychological or physical. And the discomfort of CrossFit and just that idea that, like you said before, oh, another run. You look at the clock and there's like 90 seconds left and coach is like, okay, you've got time for one more. And it's like, oh, but you do it. And then you realise that I can actually challenge myself and push myself and ask more of myself a lot, uh, a lot more than I, mm. I would have outside of an environment like that. But also then it, it helps you to learn that 
I've got a lot more in me. I've got a lot more in the tank than I probably once thought I did. So it's um yeah. it's act- actually uh, imperative for my own personal resilience. It's um one of the one of the most foundation factors I would say. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that and um, your love for CrossFit. <laughs> I definitely concur. Um, so we're going to go into some audience questions now. So I've got a question here which asks, um, how can I learn what um, cues or triggers my anxiety? Yeah. What I'd start by doing is to become curious next time anxiety shows up. So you, for this particular person who's asked the question, you might know of certain situations that you're in that might trigger your anxiety. So picture picture the next opportunity you have to be in that situation. And when that situation comes around, become know that it's coming. The anxiety will show in this situation. You know that. that that's what your history will tell you. And start to become mm-hmm. really curious about how it feels for you in your body and what's happening. And under the headings, think, feel, and do, make a few notes. Some people, some, you know, often, you know, with young people, you can get them to sort of lie down on butcher's paper. I don't even know if butcher's paper exists anymore, but draw around, you know, draw around <laughs> yeah. arms and legs and, and kids will colour in where they feel it. You, you could do that if you wanted to. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. you can just say how you're feeling. Definitely and, seen that. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, and, and because it can feel differently for different people, but with, mm. with the – with a sense of curiosity and, you know, maybe a note, a notepad and pen, just jot down a few things because that way when we see the early warning signs, we are more able to we're in a better position to be able to step in and put a strategy into practice that can help us to kind of send it in the other direction and settle our system rather than it sort of amping up in the other in the other direction. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Well, thank you for answering that question. We're going to go into the open mic section of the podcast now. So this is essentially where the guest gets to talk about anything that they're passionate about. It doesn't have to be related to personal resilience. It can be about anything. We've had guests talk about some really random stuff. (laughs) So so I'll hand it over to you now, Jodie. What would you like to talk about? Oh, look, exercise is just something that I'm extremely passionate about. And I just wanted to spend a, a little bit more time on on that if if I can mm. and and just yeah. to let people know that when it comes to our mental health it is it is one of the most powerful things that we can do but a lot of people will say they can't find the motivation and that can be something that can be said for many many years by people because there's an understanding amongst a lot of people that when the motivation comes, I will be in a position to do it. I'll hit the ground running, you know, pardon the pun. Whereas the motivation <laughs> yeah. actually comes from the doing. You actually need to take the action first, start to experience the benefits of what you're doing, which will then motivate you to continue. And so what yeah. I would say to anyone who's waiting for the, you know, the wave of the wand from the motivation fairy is to Decide what it is you want to do, schedule it in and just get started irrespective of whether you Mm. feel like it at the time and just because you don't feel like it and your head says I can't doesn't mean your body can't. I mean you could, you know, a classic example is you could say I can't pick up this pencil. Well, I just picked it up, you know. What, What our head tells us isn't always helpful 
And that brings Mm. me to something else I'd love to share, which is this idea that when we're anxious, we can worry a lot and we can have a lot of thoughts that come and stick around and a lot of what if questions and a lot of catastrophic thinking and also a lot of I can't do it type thinking. And so instead of asking when, instead of asking yourself, is it true, which we often like to do, when you've planned to do a walk and it's raining and your head says, well, you can't, it's raining, then you can thank your mind for sharing that thought with you, ask if it's helpful, and no, it's not helpful. What's helpful? What's helpful is to do what I said I wanted to do, which is to get out and go for my walk. So what if you get wet? Take an umbrella if you don't want to, unless it's torrential rain and it's not safe, of course, disclaimer. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So when it comes to exercising, really and truly what people find is that if they have a consistent daily practice uh, and that, as you heard with me, Wednesday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I go to CrossFit. On Wednesday night, I, I play basketball. On other days, once or twice a week, I might get out for a walk with the dog or a run, try to do something each day. Um, just consistency and doing something that you enjoy with someone you enjoy or listening to a great podcast like this one can make it a little <laughs> bit more enjoyable. Yes, yes definitely. <laughs> so I really just, I can't stress enough the difference that movement will make. And mm. one of the great reasons uh, we, we've probably Uh, We've talked a bit about endorphins uh, maybe earlier in the show. I might not have mentioned that exact word, but we get a lot of great neurotransmitters. But one of the great things about exercise is it produces a neurotransmitter that actually puts the brakes on our stress response. And so there is a lot that happens in our brain and our body and our muscles um, and our mind when it comes to exercise that can really just be life-changing when it comes to our mental health and well-being. So thank you for the opportunity just to say a little bit more about that. Obviously, it's something I'm extremely passionate about, but I've worked in this space for a long, long time and it is profound the difference it can make for people. It can be, um, yeah, just just the, the difference between night and day. So. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And I can definitely attest to that. And I think it's so much a part of, you know, getting that, know air quotation marks motivation to to (laughs) get up and actually do it is a lot of the time just learning to learning about yourself and what you actually like doing you don't have to like if you don't want to run then like don't run like go you know swimming or go dancing but those are my two kind of like go-to things because I hate running yes (laughs) um I am I'm not a runner I applaud those who can I can definitely see the thrill I do love running fast yeah um I don't know if that's just like a childhood thing just like the ability to just like move really fast yeah um but yeah learning um about yourself and what you love to do like you can pick anything it can be like karate or it can be I don't like hockey or like something like just sort of like trying something out and um you know you don't always have to sign up for a membership for it or something if you just buy a tennis racket and just whack some balls against the wall and who knows where that could take you um but yeah learning to find something that you love I've definitely found has made the biggest difference and um yeah like you said before you touched on it in terms of um exercise 
is a lot of what you get from exercise is the same components as what you get from a medication for something like that. Like I remember, um, who was my psychologist said that resistance training, they found that doing that resistance training provides you with the same effects as if you were to take like anxiety medication or medication for depression. And so she was like, just go swimming. (laughs) I was like, sure. All right, cool. Um, and yeah, you can find these incredible benefits for your headspace, for your, you know, general health, for your heart and your muscles. And it's just a, it's just a fun feeling, especially if you're doing it with other people and you like what you're doing. Some people love doing, you know, just the gym and they run on the treadmill and they do their weights. You know, if you like to do stuff organized and by yourself, but you can go to like Zumba classes. I've got a friend who's like a Zumba um, instructor and like he just says it's the best thing ever and he gets paid to like dance around and exercise and hang out with people all day he's like it's the best job ever he's like why (laughs) it's like this is amazing and I look incredible um so yeah it's it's about um yeah finding what you love and the benefits of it like you said are just so unending it's it's really amazing yeah it really is And, and I know for a lot of people who work and I know I have the privilege of working for myself and and running my own show and uh I can make those decisions and not everybody has that opportunity but where mm. we all have the same number of hours in the day and it's incredible what when you look at what some people have done in their lifetime with the same 24 hours and hopefully we're all getting a good eight eight nine hours sleep a night I need eight to ten yeah. <laughs> um but yeah. really it's really about and my mum says this to me because I've said this to her a lot it's about it's about what is most important to us and mm. we if we were to look at our day we can I think we can all find 15, 20 minutes in the day. And, he, and if you can't, oh, and yeah, I say this with lots of love, if you can't find 15, 20 minutes in the day to do a brisk walk, to do something for yourself, then there might be some other changes that, that might need uh, making. Mm. And that's and, mm. and, and it could be going, going on a walking meeting with someone. Um, yeah. You know, it doesn't have to always be, I mean, obviously in the workplace it's a bit tricky, but uh, we can feel sometimes that exercise might be the thing we can't do at the end of the day because we're so tired, we've had a busy day, especially if you've got a long commute and you are sitting at a desk Mm. all day. You can feel exhausted and like, oh, I don't have it in me. But trust me, please, uh, when I say that doing the exercise and starting small, you don't have to dive into a CrossFit class. That's pretty full on. Don't don't do that. Yeah, I want to exercise again. Um, yeah. Like you said, Tia, so beautifully. Find what you love. Start small, but be consistent and mm. make it the priority. I mean, the the other day I was in the supermarket, the local Woolworths down here, and a lady just looked a bit uh, like she needed help. You know, I just sort of said, "Oh, do, do you need some help with something?" As I walked past her, and she said would you mind just bobbing down and picking up something that was on the bottom shelf? It was a little bit, not just right at the front of the bottom shelf, but. Yeah, a little she awkward. Said, she said, yeah. she said oh, I can't get down. I can't get down to do it. And she wasn't, I don't know. I mean, it's so hard to tell, isn't it? She she didn't seem to me, I mean, I'm nearly 50. So I suppose, you know, she, she probably was 10 years older than me maybe. And I thought I was delighted to help her, of course. And, but it did make me stop and think, gosh, how hard must that be when, your mm. body is not able to do the things you want it to do. I mean, that's that's not good for our mental health and our well-being and our yeah. happiness. So, do exactly. it for you now. Do it for future you, um, mm. and make the time. We've all got the time. Yeah. It's just how we how we spend it. 
Um, yeah, and exactly. yeah. So anyway, I'll get off down off my high horse now. <laughs> <laughs> no, amazing. Yeah, I think we all need that that boost of of motivation to hear people who do love it and who do love um, the the benefits of it because that's really all you get is just benefits from it. Yes. It's, it's really amazing. Yes. So um, anyway, that brings us to the end of our show today. Thank you so much, Jody, for being here. It's been such a pleasure. We've learned so much today. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, it really has been a lot of fun. So thank you. Oh, amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here. But uh, for those who want to find out a bit more about you and what you do, uh, where can they go? Oh, my website's probably the best place, which is drjodyrichardson.com, and that's Jody with an I. Uh, and yes, please, yeah, reach out to me on LinkedIn and Instagram. And of course, the podcast is uh, available on all good podcasting platforms. So, amazing. Take a look. Perfect. Well, we'll leave all the links uh, to Jody's details in the description below. And to our listeners, thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe on whatever platform you're on. And we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. You have been listening to Bouncing Back, the personal resilience science insights podcast produced by the Life Management Science Labs. Listen to episodes from LMSL's 10 Life Management Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or other podcasting apps on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps others find us and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at pr.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Tia Hama. Thanks for tuning in.